My name is Dion Timken. Um, I am the church planting resident here at True Life. Um, and like I said, we're just super excited to um, be here this morning and that you're here this morning. And let me tell you a little story. So in college, I would go back home, and it seemed as if as the years would go on, I would go home a little bit less. I would start to get a little more busy. Um, and so pretty early on, I made it a really, very, very large priority that whenever I would go home to make sure to spend intentional time with all my family members. And it wasn't just a time to go home and veg out and to um, hang out with my old high school buddies and to do whatever I wanted. But Because I, I knew that it was going to continue to taper off. That Once I graduated college, I would see them less and life would keep getting more busy and I would see them less and I would move just like I have. And so I would frequently take my little sister out to lunch um, or dinner or go to a movie. And one time we were out to lunch at one of one of my family's favorite little cafes in Hutchinson, Kansas. And um, we were eating lunch, and there was a woman that just kept kind of looking at us while we, were, while we were eating. And she had a lot of stuff with her, um, so it was pretty clear that she was a, a homeless woman, um, a needy woman. Um, and so we just kept eating lunch, and then we wrapped up to go, and I went to walk out, and the lady actually grabbed my arm and said, hey, can I ask you something real fast? And uh, she very boldly asked for a ride to the homeless shelter. And I thought hmm, I have my little sister with me, and this homeless person asked me for a ride. What should I do here? Um, so I thought, thought through like in like a split second, 30 seconds, Hannah can sit in the back, and I'll keep my arm free just in case something happens, and we'll take her to the homeless shelter. And so we did, and we talked to the woman for a while and drove her to the homeless shelter. All was good. And then we dropped her off, and my sister um, said, she, she said, Dion, you just did a good deed. You're going to heaven. And I was like, I was like, and I was a Bible college student at the time, and I was like, uh, that's not really right, but how do I answer that? <laughs> and like, wh- why, did, why, why did I, it really kind of made me question why I did this. Why did I offer, not even offer, why did I say yes to bring this woman to the homeless shelter? And I felt, I found it kind of troubling um, that I couldn't come up with a, a real legit answer of why I, I did it. We as Christians know that we're supposed to serve people, that we're supposed to treat people well, um, that we're supposed to treat people like Jesus would treat people, yes. Um, but I didn't know what that really came from. Like, what was the actual root? I, was, I, I just, my answer basically was, we're Christians, so we do good things for people. That was it. And that is a pretty common thing, I think, in our world and in, in the church, unfortunately. And so um, today, uh, as we approach the passage we're reading today in, in Luke chapter 10 about the Good Samaritan, um, I really want to dissect that and, and, and find what, God is really saying to us when, he wants, when he's calling us to go serve, when he's calling us to go love people. Um, in our day, the Good Samaritan, if you go look on YouTube or you look on a news headline, the good, you'll find lots of people labeled as Good Samaritans that did something good for somebody that they probably didn't know. Good Samaritan saves little girl's cat from a tree. Good Samaritan chases down a robber. Good, Samaritan, good Samaritans are people that do something good. That's what our society has labeled Good Samaritans as. And I think partially because of that, but partially because it's just an amazing story, this passage is, a, is one of Jesus' most famous parables that he, that he talks about. And so if we are just being good Samaritans just because we think we're supposed to be good Samaritans, just for the sake of because I am a good person or because I'm a good Christian, I go be a good Samaritan and do good things to people, we end up doing things out of wrong motives. We end up do, like chasing are either pride or some, some, uh, some idol or some um, like utopia of a world that, that doesn't exist outside of God's kingdom. 
Um, and so if we re- reduce being a good Samaritan to just go and do good things to people, I think that we're going to miss the depth and beauty of what Jesus is really trying to say to us in the passage. And, like I said, we're likely being motivated by something besides the love of God flowing through us. And that's just not God's intention for his purposes of renewing this world through his church. So real love, God's love, is not one that's motivated by guilt or shame or pride or whatever else it is that's driving us to go do good things. God's love is a love that flows from our heart, which we frequently don't find ourselves doing. We frequently don't find ourselves radically loving our neighbors like we will see in this passage because I think our motives are wrong, our inspiration is wrong. And so in our passage today, Jesus is preaching on the call to radically love our neighbors, but he does so much more than that. And so my prayer for us today is that God reveal to us through his passage the instruction of love God and love your neighbor, the immensity of this instruction, what that entails, and how we kind of build barriers against that, and what his inspiration to go and love our neighbor really is. And so the first is the instruction. So read with me the beginning of the passage. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. The expert in the law wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And so here we see the instruction. This expert in the law, think of a guy who knows his profession like the back of his hand. His profession is to know all 613 of God's commandments from the Old Testament like the back of his hand. So when he's asking Jesus this question, he very clearly knows what the answer is supposed to be. And Jesus obviously knows that because he turns the question back on him like he usually does. It doesn't really say why, but it, also, but it says that the lawyer, the t- expert in the law, was testing him. And we see through, all throughout the Gospels that people were frequently testing Jesus. They wanted to invalidate his ministry. They wanted him to catch him in a lie. They wanted to catch him in heresy so that they could invalidate what he was doing. Jesus came and was teaching things that the actual experts, actual experts weren't teaching, pretty much opposite of them. And he was always hanging out with sinners, and so they figured that this guy probably fell in that category. So see that the guy that isn't coming to actually find an answer to how do I inherit eternal life, how do I know God more, he's asking Jesus a question to catch him in a lie. And so he answers with the greatest commandment. He said, love God and love people as, he would your, as you would yourself. So Jesus says, you're right, do that, and you will have eternal life. Both of those commands, love God with everything, meaning obey his laws, all 613 of them, and think on him as the greatest person ever, and love people the exact way that you would love yourself, meaning everything that you would do for yourself is what you would do for others. I have a quote from C.S. Lewis. It wouldn't be a Sunday at True Life without a quote from C.S. Lewis. It kind of illustrates, <laughs> kind of illustrates um, a way to look at this and how... There it is. So you are told to love your neighbor as yourself. How do you love yourself? Now when I look into my own mind, I find that I do not love myself by thinking myself a dear old chap or have any affectionate feelings. I do not think that I love myself because I am particularly good, but just because I am myself and quite apart from my character. I might detest something which I have done. Nevertheless, I do not cease to love myself. 
In other words, that definite distinction that Christians make between hating sin and loving the sinner is one that you've been making, in your own case, since you were born. You dislike what you have done, but you don't cease to love yourself. You may even think that you ought to be hanged. You may even think that you ought to go to the police and own up to and be hanged. Love is not an affectionate feeling, but a steady wish for the loved person's ultimate good as far as it can be obtained. And so Lewis is saying, it really puts it pretty clearly for us on how we ought to be thinking to love each other. My question to you is, and is anybody here just doing that awesomely? Anybody here loving the people that are around them exactly what you would do to yourself even when they've wronged you or wronged the world or just done wrong in general? Maybe they, you don't think they deserve it? Anyone just have that down pat? If you do, you're going to, teach our next, or you're going to preach our next sermon. So the lawyer answers the question right, and Jesus is affirm, affirming that he's correct. But I think more so Jesus is using this as a mirror for the guy. And I think he's using it for a mirror as a mirror for us. So are we doing it? Have we done it? No. We can't. We cannot perfectly love God and love people. If you don't believe me, go read the whole Old Testament and see how the Israelites encountered this. Or I would even say look back into your own life probably and see that you cannot do this perfectly within your own power. It's just not possible. So the lawyer seeks to justify himself. He probably has done good to his people. He probably helps people at his church who are moving. He probably has treated his family super well. He probably hangs out with his friends a lot and feeds them dinner. But he thinks on the first part is attainable, which is crazy to me, because he knows it all. He, I don't even need to worry about that. How, I, I love God perfectly, but let's just make sure, make sure that I'm doing this whole neighbor thing right. So our instruction is to love God fully and love your neighbor just as much as you love yourself. But we know there's a disconnect there. When you, when you look into your heart and you look into, his, into history, when you look into, into, the, into the, all, the whole Bible, that's what we struggle with is being able to, in our own power, love God, people, God perfectly and love people perfectly. Say that ten times fast. So there's obviously a disconnect. And so the lawyer's question leads to Jesus telling us a story that I see reveals the immensity of our instruction to love God and love people perfectly. So read with me. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Jesus asked the expert in the law. And he replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. And so obviously, the biggest theme here, and where we usually stop, is to love your neighbor. Go and do likewise. Go serve people. Go show mercy to people. Go give your money to people. We all agree, right? Everybody would agree with that. 
If you do, I looked at a couple of surveys, and, and one of the most popular answers of a, a life well-lived, of a life well-lived here on earth is a life of service, a life of giving to people, a life of charity. Every religion agrees on that. Every secular person would agree on that eventually. It's just across the board. And so if we agree, why don't we live in a utopia? Why don't we live in a perfect world where everybody serves each other and looks out for each other's needs the same immensity, the same amount that we look out for our own needs, like C.S. Lewis said. And in this parable, Jesus reveals to us a lot of limits that we set. The Lord had set limits. He was probably a decent neighbor, like I said, to his family, his friends, even the poor, the people in his church. But he had limits, like we all do. So Jesus tells this parable in part to expose our limits. And there's three of them that I see. The first is the who. Some have wider than others, wider limits on who than others, but we all have them. Jesus uses two different, very, very different kinds of people in this story to illustrate this, Jews and Samaritans. See, in the Jews' eyes, Samaritans were untouchable. They actually called them like half-breeds. The Samaritans were, had intermarried um, with pagan nations, like destroying the bloodline of, Jesus, of God's chosen people, and so the Jews looked on them as basically dogs, lower in society, they had no worth in them. And they actually even had prayers that they would pray through while going through their worship services, talking about the sinful, the horrible Samaritans. Like that's how much these people hated each other, that a part of their worship was stopping these people down and saying that these people really suck in our eyes. And so... Um, we, all have, we all have limits, okay? So... Imagine this. Give me, I'll give you an example. I have a friend who's coming out of prison, and I stand up here and I say, will anybody host this person? He's really turned his life around. Um, he just needs a place to stay until he gets on his feet, gets a job, finds his own place, the whole thing. I think a lot of you, because you're just great people, would raise your hand and, and let him stay in your house. Yeah? I think a lot of you would. And then the conversation would keep going on, and I tell you that this person is an ex-murderer. And a lot of hands would probably go down. We all struggle with that. And that's just me trying to tell you, show you that we all have limits on who we would love. If you saw a murderer on the street and he wore a shirt that said, hey, I murdered somebody, you would not want to walk towards them. You would not want to serve them. You would want them to stay in prison. You'd want them to continue to be oppressed because you don't want to get murdered by them. And so we all have limits. And Jesus here is saying that we can't put limits on who we will be a neighbor to. Meaning, our race, our politics, what the person may have done to you or to society, who they identify with or as, we can't discriminate when it comes to who we love. We cannot put limits on who we love, and this is what Jesus is trying to say here. The second limit we put is when, or the, the circumstances of when. So like I said, these people hated each other. And so we usually don't mind being a neighbor when it's easy, when when we can validate it, when we can justify it, when, when it's not really going out of our way. Oh, I'm headed that way any, anyway. Get, jump in my car with me and my sister. Uh, I've never told my parents that. I just realized that. Um, but like I said, these, these people had a little hate for each other. The Samaritan very well may have curb stomped this guy and slept easy that night because I'm a Samaritan. He's a Jew. If it was me, he would, he would cut me off. He would, he would finish the job for me. 
And I, he obviously was on his way to doing something. He had a full, a full donkey full of things and, and was on a journey. And so the circumstances just would not have lined up for this man, for the Samaritan. And so I think in that, Jesus is illustrating to us that no matter the circumstances, no matter what seems easier, what is convenient for us, that we cannot put limits on the circumstances or the when of when we're supposed to be loving people. And the third is how much. And for this, I, I see this in the priest and Levite. See, the priest and Levite are like, like the pastors. And, and, and so like the, Caleb being the priest and me being the Levite, like priest, Levite. The, the priest led worship in the synagogues and, and was the mediator between God and people. And the Levite served the services and, and, took care of, and took care of the temple. And these are the people that are supposed to be the most holy that you're supposed to expect are supposed to pick this guy up and carry him to an inn and take care of him but they walk by on the other side. I wonder why. It could be busy schedules. It could be a fear. They could have been feared that they would become unclean from, from fixing this guy up. They could have feared that they would themselves would be robbed as this journey, I didn't mention before, but this journey is a super dangerous one and everyone would have known that this was a dangerous journey. And so it, no matter what it is, it, it was selfish. They, they were thinking of themselves. They weren't loving someone else as God, as God says we should love our neighbor. And so what are our excuses? What is our busy schedule that's letting us, making us get in front of what God is calling us to do for our neighbors around us? What are our fears that this person is going to try and kidnap me and my sister? What are our fears that that we're gonna, not going to have enough money if we, if we pay for this person's meal, if, if, we pay for, if we let this person stay in our basement. What is the root of our selfishness? What is causing us to choose ourselves greater than the person that God is calling us to serve, that the people are, that he's calling us to serve? But this isn't how the Samaritan responded. He opened his eyes. He chose to see the man as a human that was broken and had compassion on him. He opened his hands he served him and healed him. He opened his wallet. He paid for his stay and for his extended care at the inn. And he opened his schedule by going out of his way and also by committing to return to ensure the full care of this man. <clears throat> and so at this point, we know the instruction, go love God and love people as you would yourself. And we know the immensity or the breadth or the magnitude that instruction and breaking down the barriers that we have for the who, the when, or the how much we're supposed to love people. And so the problem with these is that they always have a limit. You will at some point done enough or have found yourself in some sort of self-justification. He doesn't deserve to be served. He did that to himself. That's, that's his fault, so he doesn't deserve my help. But go and do Likewise. That's where we stop so many times. We feel guilty because we haven't been loving our neighbor perfectly, because we can't, but let's just go do it. Worship team, come up and let's, let's go and love people in this city and be good people, be good Samaritans. So I want you to notice how the man that was beaten is the only character without a description or a label. There was the priest, the Levite, that was their jobs. There was even the Samaritan person labeled by his race. There was even the innkeeper labeled by his job, but this guy was just a man. That's because Jesus wanted the lawyer to identify himself in his shoes. Jesus made the lawyer the half-to-death-beaten 
robbed man, saying, if you were in this position, this is what you would want. This is what I have done for you, or in this case, what I will be doing for you. But for us, this is what Jesus has done for us. So the inspiration isn't to go do good just to do good, just because we're Christians, just because it's not the right thing to do. It's you've been shown mercy. So you yourself can go show mercy. It's you have had a good neighbor. Now go be a good neighbor. This is what Jesus is trying to say here. I am the Samaritan. You are the man beaten to death. And he has saved you and given you a new chance at life. So go and do likewise with yours. He comes to us in our lives wrecked by sin and destroyed by our own selfishness and destroyed by Satan and he's our true neighbor. Despite the fact that we had sinned and rebelled against God, Jesus came for us and died for the cross on us and saved us from our, our, our spiritual deadness and our deadness, the, the hell that we deserved. He saved us from that. So despite the fact that we have taken the life that he gives us and live for ourselves instead of him and live for ourselves instead of the people that he's calling us to serve, despite the fact that we hated God, Jesus came for us. See, Jesus is telling us that he is the Samaritan. Jesus came down to earth just as the Samaritan came down from his donkey. He had pity on us. He had a love and compassion for us that will forever be outside our comprehension. We will never be more uncomfortable than a, than a perfect God coming to live in a perfect world. Jesus heals us by his power and heals our wounds from our sin and cleanses us with his blood just as, as the Samaritan bandaged the man and healed his wounds and poured, him, poured oil and wine to cleanse him. Jesus bared our burden of sin and death as he carried his own source of death on his shoulders, just as the Samaritan bared the weight of his man on his own donkey. Jesus paid the price for us to have a place with him in eternity and to live a full life here with him now, just as the man paid for the Jews' stay and care at the inn. And Jesus is returning to redeem all things, just as the Samaritan is returning to assure care for the Jew. So this is what Jesus is trying to show us. That we can't earn eternal life. The, the question was, what must I do to inherit eternal life? We can't. We can't do that. Even if you go live a perfect life, that the amount of good things that you did overdoes the amount of bad things that you've done, we still haven't earned eternal life. Jesus did it for you. This is the only power that can transform our hearts to remove these limits that I just talked about and who we serve. So how do we do this? The Samaritan opened his eyes and responded with compassion. We need to choose to open our eyes and choose to see people just how God sees them and have compassion on them rather than judgment. So when you see that homeless person when you're walking around downtown, when you encounter that young person who's thinking about getting an abortion, when you see those teenagers walking around your neighborhood probably up to no good, how do you see them? Do you see them as that guy that went and wasted his money all on drugs and alcohol and he deserves what he's doing? Do you see that teenage girl that did the bad deed and deserves to, to suffer and will deserve to suffer for aborting her baby? Or do you see those teenagers as a bunch of hooligans? Or do you see them how God sees them? The God who died on the cross for them, that they will have full life, that they should have full life, just like you should have full life. The Samaritan opened his hands and saw the issue. He saw 
what was wrong. And he had compassion on him and did what needed to be done. He didn't just feel bad for him and say, oh, I'll pray for him. You know, he got himself there, but, you know, I still feel bad, so I'll pray for him. He opened his wallet. He gave all the necessary money needed to care for him and sustain his care for him. And he opened his schedule. He committed to return so that he would be fully taken care of. And so I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't know what area of, of service God is specifically calling you to. So who are we in the story? Yes, God has saved us as a Samaritan. God is the good Samaritan and saved the Jew. But since we've been saved, we need to respond with action like that of the good Samaritan. But there's also something we need to understand is that whatever we have been given, or whatever we have has been given to us. It means the people put in your life the resources that you have, the time you have, the money you have, the gifts that you have, the tools that you have, have all been given to you. And so the way I see us acting here is like the innkeeper. Jesus did all the heavy lifting. He died for every single person in this room. He died for every single person in the world. He did the heavy lifting, and he provides us with the power of the Holy Spirit to go out and do these things. He gave us everything we needed. He gave us the instruction to go and do And he said he's going to come back and renew all things under his name and under his glory. And so he's telling us to take care of his creation, take care of his people until he comes back. So we have a hope that he is going to return for the eternal glory and for for the restoration of his creation. But God's asking you to go take care of people, to go love people just as you would yourself. And so as we take communion today, I want you to reflect upon exactly that. What exactly Jesus did for you And accept the power that that has, the weight that that has in our lives, that that should drive us to go and do, to go be good Samaritans, but not just for the sake of being a good Samaritan, but because you have been, someone has been a neighbor to you, so go be a neighbor to them. So reflect upon that, and I I just pray that um, God has shaped you, and that God shaped you to um, be the person to walk in power, the power that can only be displayed by someone dying on the cross for you. So go and do likewise. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. And um, Again, we just pray that our, wor- that our worship is pleasing to you and um, that we be formed by you and that um, you do propel us to go and live a life of service, um, but motivated and empowered by a supernatural love that only you can provide and they can only be explained by a perfect God. And God, we do thank you for your Holy Spirit that allows us to do these things, that empowers us to do these things, and that you have trusted us to take care of your creation until you return. And that, God, thank you for the hope that we have in that, and that um, we can trust you as the all-powerful God um, to work through us and to work um, good in this world, and that you are restoring all things. We love you. Um, And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.